Howdy, this is Who's a Watcher here with your discussion segment. We are here at this time to discuss racial diversity in Nuzlocke. That's about all I've got for the intro. I'm here with Missy and War. War, you can introduce yourself first. Please give me your name, what you're writing, and what your race is. Give me the full rundown. Give me your pronouns. Give me everything. Hi, I'm Warberday. People call me War. I'm a Leo. I write Don't Fear the Reaper sometimes. I use he, him, his, and I'm the token white guy on today's race diversity panel. Fantastic. Oh yeah, we do stand. We do stand <laughs> our, our token white man. I'm so excited to be here. I was asked to be here by the network because they wouldn't let us do this without a token white guy. <laughs> yes, you are our diversity hire. <laughs> So yeah, hi, I'm Missy. I'm using they, them pronouns, gender, woohoo. I am mixed race, white, Chinese, Canadian, broadcasting live from Turtle Island, the city currently known as Vancouver on the unceded territory of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh indigenous peoples. And I write, uh, I mean, I'm currently writing, technically, Three's a Crown, I wrote The Air Apparently, and that's what I'm doing. All right, and again, I'm Huza. I am she, her. I am white and black. Some people have rudely called me a zebra or an Oreo. I am neither, but Ooh, I'm just I'm a sweet. <laughs> and I am no. fantastically, wonderfully American. We are talking like, you know, the South. I'm down here in Appalachia, Tennessee. Also, I feel like we should go through, I don't know if you guys are comfortable sharing, but I'm going to throw it out there and I'm also bisexual, putting it on record. Nice. I do want to put on the record that I'm so white that I'm from Florida, so I'm like that token white guy. So <laughs> You're I'm... also trans. I think so... that's what oh, I was asking yeah, for. Yeah, also that one. I am also transgender. God damn it. Did you just fucking... Your gender yeah, is Floridian. Again. My gender is Floridian. I use Flo, Rye, and Den for my pronouns. That's that awful. Sense. Thank you. No, I'm a big lesbian. I'm also autistic. What's up? Oh, God. I'm also ADHD. Just gonna sit and listen That's what the this. diversity panel is. It's just it's, like how diverse of a person we're you know. Be. Yeah. Hi, welcome. We would all be bullied in high school for different reasons. Now, moving on to our questions. Hypothetically. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's get into this before we just lose it. So, our first question When adapting the Pokemon canon to fan fiction, how do you approach the canon races of the characters? For example, do you take the chance to imbue them with culture, or do you just leave it be? I will pull the straw, and I will go first, because I'm hosting, like a fool. Thank you, yeah, yeah, fuck you. Sorry. So. <laughs> yeah, no. So, frankly, if anybody's ever written a white main character in, like, Kanto or Johto, then honestly, congratulations, you've already race-bent, in my opinion, because both of these regions were based on Japan, and frankly, they're Japanese games, so for Pokemon games, I feel like Japanese should really be the default race for everyone to pick. Mm -hmm. Oh, and in Sinnoh, too, all the first four yeah, different regions of yeah, Japan. Like, like, Sinnoh is very specifically Hokkaido. Yeah, exactly. So, for me, I mean, it just depends on how... I approach the races of each character because for me, I know basically jack about any Asian cultures. So like writing a region like Johto or any of them, like honestly keeping in with Japanese culture would be really hard for me unless I'm divorcing myself of the culture and the architecture that these places are based on, especially Johto. God help me. But I know like for Alola, I've tried playing a lot closer attention how I've been writing it and come hell or high water because 
I want to provide as honest an approach to Hawaiian culture as I can, despite my understanding of it still being, you know, super shallow. And this also includes, like, I once had this really cool idea that I was going to find somebody who was Hawaiian and actually make individual chants for each Z-move haka, but that unfortunately fell through, so we're not talking about that. So in my opinion, it's just absolutely race bend if you want. And absolutely please do race bend. Honestly, I took Hugh, get ready to feel my rage, that Hugh, and I made him into the sweetest southern Louisiana bayou man that you have ever seen. And Hugh remains one of my most impactful characters to this day, not just because he's fantastic and everybody should love him, but because no one else even thought to make Hugh a black man, even though his actual art essentially already has an afro. Yeah, I don't think any other kind of person could support a hairstyle like that. <laughs> Honestly. Are you sure that you want to stick to your guns on the just go ahead and race bin thing? Because I mm, feel like... That's true. <laughs> I feel like... The blank check. I handed them a blank check and I will suffer for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like you just ruined everything. Because, well, like... <laughs> I feel like maybe it would be not great. If somebody race spent like how how yeah or, they say um, oh I'm like just gonna how, make them white. Personally, I would feel weird as shit if I read something like that. Go ahead and be creative. Asterisks, but don't be racist. But there's always certain caveats to that, and I mean the general rule I would say people go off with that is if you're bending away from the dominant socioeconomic racial majority that's generally sort of okay that's why people have less or no problem with somebody with like taking a character that is caucasian and swapping them over to a different ethnicity because we have enough white characters as it is so who's gonna miss one more i'm sure there's a video like a very trite video out there about like the skittles analogy or whatever this whole thread right here is reminding me of the freaking oh my god I don't even watch like the whatever that TV show is that has Starfire in it and people Teen got Titans? so not that one the live action one sure because people got super pissed that they cast Starfire as a black woman even though Starfire is an alien she's orange guys exactly fucking... and they got so so mad I cannot express how mad people got about this. And they were like, oh, well, why don't we just turn Storm white? And it's like, you you freaking know why. <laughs> Bringing it back to Nuzlocke, uh, you brought up your own run, Come Hell or High Water. And I really do appreciate the way that you really like investigate Hawaiian Alola specifically in a way that I personally didn't really do with the air, apparently, because I was in grade 12 when I started that and I was stupid. And it wasn't really what I was interested in at the time, which is unfortunate because there's a lot to be interested in. And um, you do a really good job of that just with the general atmosphere of the region, as well as you talked about the Hakas. And, I mean, just pretty much everything, because you get a good mix, I think, with your main two sets of characters and their cultural heritage. You have Tamaya, who's coming from Kanto, and you can talk about Tamaya if you want, but, like, I know about Tamaya. And then you have the Rivers family, which is Kukui, Kukui, sorry, I always pronounce that wrong, and his wife, and they are, like, a lot more into the culture. Together has that, and I really enjoy that as well. If I can talk about my own answers to this question. Yes. Go. You're on it. 
With the air, apparently I have less to talk about because I didn't really pick up any kind of racial threads in that story. But currently, with my current, in quotation marks, story, Through the Crown, I am basically adapting Sinnoh and layering it over late Victorian era Canada. And basically just playing with that and seeing where that goes. And of course, naturally, I came to the conclusion that... I mean, Canada at that time was, I would say, maybe like slightly less racially diverse than you would see nowadays, especially with all the immigration in big port towns like Toronto and Vancouver. But that's not to say that it's completely white, because obviously it's a colonized continent. And so I realized that I had to include Indigenous peoples as main characters and at the forefront of any major conflict on the continent. And so that's uh, why I chose to take up Rourke and Byron specifically as Indigenous figures. I love them so much. We stan. We stan. We stan, ladies and gentlemen. Rourke is best boy. I know that I'm supposed to say he was best boy. I don't care. Rourke, best boy. <gasps> I yeah. am trying to imbue them specifically with culture because I don't want to basically set them up as indigenous figures and then have that be the be-all end-all. I'm going to explore that with more chapters about it. I mean, for Rourke and Byron specifically, they are, again, it's Sinnoh, so it is supposed to be Hokkaido, and therefore they are just sort of... I don't want to say generically Japanese, but in the terms of the Pokemon canon, Japanese is generic, so... And up until, like, Unova, there was no, like, dark-skinned characters anyway, really. Brock. Yeah. Brock is debatable. Have you seen the anime? I mean, other than, like... I don't know. Brock is, like... He was our one token boy, and we had him. And then they gave us breakdancers, because... Black people. (laughs) And then we have Lenora. Okay, but Lenora was popping. Lenora can stay. I know, but there's debate over her as a mommy archetype, so... Uh, well, I'm sorry, just really quick. Mommy or Mammy? Mammy, sorry. <laughs> okay. Look at the tongue. It's both. My bad. <laughs> yeah, it is both. I just didn't know like which one Missy was gonna bring <laughs> up. We're not going into MILF discourse here, okay? That's not what we're here. We are for. only got this is now the MILF discourse pod no. Um... Or answer the question. And now from our white man. <laughs> now from our white man. I have some white thoughts. So Don't Fear the Reaper is set in Alola. Because we've all apparently written a a Lola run, which is great for this question. So I bounced back and forth a lot, actually, about whether or not I was going to do anything with that. And if you read Don't Fear the Reaper with a critical lens, don't read Don't Fear the Reaper, but like if you read like a critical lens, you can absolutely tell that that's what I'm doing. And I originally kind of considered like, so there's like a massive poverty problem in Hawaii right now. It is not a great place to live if you're a native Hawaiian. It is really fucked up. The tourism industry has, like, decimated everything. And so Team Skull kind of, like, stems from that in the games. And I bounced back and forth if I wanted to, like, try and address that. And I ultimately decided against it because Don't Fear the Reaper is a comedy. And, like, I can't make that funny. (laughs) Not really, no. Yeah, I can't really make poverty as a result of colonialism into, like, a goofy comedy kind of a thing. So I decided to just kind of... Because Don't Fear the Reaper runs on rule of funny. If I make something in Don't Fear the Reaper, there's going to be, like, a joke set up. And I didn't really have any fucking jokes about, like, Hawaii. So I just... I kind of use it as just more of, like, a generic... The Tropics 
instead of trying to dig into anything about Hawaii. But like, that was my thinking there. Yeah, but I think that's also because you're playing to the genre that you're writing in. It's very much like a genre choice is what I was trying to do. Because like, I'm white, so I didn't really address it in Don't Fear the Reaper because I didn't think that I could do anything with it. In a run that I did when I was like in high school and no one should read, I had Hoenn as kind of like the Caribbean, but I did not understand how the Caribbean worked. So I sure did try something. Growing pains. Would not recommend it. Growing pains. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. If anybody else has like tried to do like some world building and it just backfired tremendously, we've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> so what you're saying is you tried to map the region of Hoenn onto like a colonized tropical area and you couldn't quite reconcile those two ideas, you know? I am sure that's not a common thing that happens, but you tried. I feel like that is a common thing that happens because if potentially a common so thing many, that happens. So many places have been colonized and unless you're like acknowledging that all these places have been colonized, you're just, it's a catch-22. <laughs> I was like in the middle of world history at the time and like I kind of understood colonialism, but I did not understand colonialism because I was like 15 years old. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> For sure. The thing is, is all of the Pokemon settings, pretty much except for Alola, they are all various colonial powers, like Japan, and then mm -hmm. America, which was the first colonial defector, but then became a colonial power in its own right, and then yep. France, and then yep. England, <laughs> yep. the big mama, you know? The big <laughs> I mean, like, they did do Hawaii, but Hawaii was forcibly annexed and essentially colonized. Yeah. I feel like there's, like, stabs at addressing it in the game, but... Yeah. It's a game aimed at children made mm -hmm. in Japan, so... Yeah. Okay. Most kids' games don't address colonialism. <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> I mean... No? Except for the Oregon Trail, but beyond... Well... <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, okay. We've been on this question for too long. Let's go to the next one. <laughs> okay, this is going to be a mouthful, so like, wait till I like, give the nod. Because depictions of race are highly scrutinized in stories, sometimes more than other aspects, many writers feel intimidated at the prospect of writing content that's outside of their own racial experience. At the same time, there's pressure from certain circles to always include racial diversity, meaning writers may be crucified from both ends. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. Have you ever felt these pressures, and how did you deal with them? What is some advice you'd give to other writers upon encountering the situation? Am I going first again? Yes, you're hosting this, and you have brought this upon yourself. Listen, I will go first for this round, but not the last round. So... <laughs> Well, honeys, darlings, I am a half-black gal, and I still feel like I can't write black folk, so are you kidding me? Imposter syndrome for mixed kids is real. It's either you're gonna feel like you're not white enough to fit in with your white half, and with the white friends you have because, you know, obviously you're the colored kid, or you're not black enough to fit in with the black kids because you didn't grow up with that connection to the culture. Or, you know, insert whatever race here, however mixed you are, I'm just using white-black because that's me. Yeah, no, same here with Chinese. It works. Yeah. 
So the bottom line is it's going to be intimidating to write racial characters no matter who you are. Frankly, you could write the quote-unquote perfect racial character and you're still going to get crucified no matter what you do because no one culture is completely homogenous. Like, okay, I'm, I'm approaching this with another black example because I'm black, but it's like how some black women think that like singers like Megan Thee Stallion and Nicki Minaj are icons for owning black female sexuality and reclaiming it for themselves. And then others are like, no, they're just selling their bodies exactly how black women are stereotyped to be. So like, no matter what you do, you can't fully satisfy people and no matter what you're gonna screw it up you know you're gonna insult people no matter how good-hearted and honest you're gonna approach things so the key here is to approach writing characters informed by race with respect and just general research like if you don't know anything about firefighting you're gonna research firefighting before you write that firefighter same goes for writing racial characters the only extra step you gotta take is to be open and receptive to criticism Shocking, I know, being open to criticism. But honestly, <laughs> most people who are going to approach you with criticism from that community is they're going to be excited that you're attempting to write their race at all and give them the representation that they're craving. Like, they're approaching you with the criticism to help you do it better. So my advice is don't be a yellow-bellied baby about things. Buck up, do the work, add some BIPOC to your runs. Do it! Go do it right now! And not just, like, one token character. Give me multiple, and no, you don't get to profit off how and Kukui already being Hawaii, and add some color yourself. I'm obviously made of mayonnaise. <laughs> but, like we've mentioned, I am trans, and so the caveat, I guess, that I would, like... Because I've seen people write trans rep, and I've seen, like good trans rep from cis authors, and I've and seen really, really shitty... Stuff. I've oh. seen some bad good god <laughs> give us um, one humorous example please give you one humorous okay i read a book by a trans author about a trans character but the writing itself was so bad that i could not get through it oh no oh boy also no offense listen to me listen to me very carefully if you write a trans character and your trans character at some point gets attacked for being trans i will come after you personally i'm Ugh. so tired just let people live their life anyway so mm -hmm. listen i read every book in my high school library that had trans character in it and they all got attacked at some point for being trans like and this is also applies to voc people but like people have whole entire lives outside of their like marginalized identity but to answer the question so again i'm made of mayonnaise and thinking about the races of characters is a thing can you send me the question again just like really quick so i can review it and then i will answer the question because i tried to i say my interest to all of your questions like all day and i just want to make sure that i don't answer the next one before i answer this one if you can just like dm it to me or post it thank you so much you're welcome missy go ahead can i go i'm gonna yes. go okay I'm sorry so my, my <laughs> advice it's in the same vein as who's advice mainly just chill out like relax just like unbunch your shoulders a little bit take a deep breath it's important, but it's also not the end of the world. If you want to do this kind of work, if you want to engage with this kind of narrative, if you want to read this kind of narrative, engage with this kind of scholarship, then you are absolutely welcome to do it. I am an English major. I try to diversify the different courses that I take. So I've taken a lot of courses on indigenous literature because it interests me personally, as well as a course on black literature that was delightful. And the professor for that class was a white woman and she was very knowledgeable in her field and she brought in so much varied black scholarship 
It was concentrated specifically in the 1900s, the US, early 1900s, that sort of stuff. And she was great and knowledgeable and it was amazing. So if you want to write this kind of stuff with the research, also look into not just nonfiction. I would engage with also fiction written by authors of color, uh, the specific cultural background that you want to be writing in, just so you know what has come before and what is in the general milieu of all of that. No one's going to know what that means. Think of the scene. What's on the scene? What's in the atmosphere? What's on the air? Yeah, and it's also like, you don't have to, like, write about an expressly, like, racial thing. You don't have to write about, like, oh, this is a black person who's escaping slavery because I am qualified to write that. No, you don't have to do that. It could just be, like, a black person, but you looked into how southern black culture is, and you use that to inform the way they talk, what they eat, the way they socialize. That's all you really need to do, in my opinion. You can strike a nice balance between them being an extremely racialized character within your story and being completely aracial, save the color of their skin. Like there's a happy medium there where bits of their cultural heritage or their race will inform their character and naturally it will. That's how being a person works. You know, I am a different person because I am half Chinese than I would be if I was just fully white Canadian, Ukrainian Canadian. And also, I mean... Again, the character's interaction with race will not end with them just being a certain race. It also depends on their surroundings, where they grew up, what their family life is like, what the surrounding culture is like, etc. Like, I, again, I'm half Chinese, and my experience as a half Chinese person would be vastly different if I lived in Saskatchewan instead of BC, so. I also feel like it's important to note that this is still, like, Pokemon fanfiction. Oh, yes. There's no such thing as slavery in Pokemon fanfiction, which, like, that's a big thing, so... Unless you want to change that. Unless you want to change it. Please hang Galar by its neck. (laughs) If you try to write slavery into your fanfiction, I... (sighs) I'm sure people have. Listen, I would like to see the repercussions of it in any sort of Galar fic, and just, like, I would like to see them hang all of these people by their toes, because I have a lot of pent-up rage. (laughs) So as as the token white man, yes, I have felt pressure from both sides for like you need diversity, which like the diversity is important. And there's there are so many less white people than you think there are. Please put some non-white people in your story. But on the other hand, I'm extremely white. So I get really, really nervous when I write non-white characters because I feel like I'm putting myself under a microscope. And the advice that I would give anybody who struggles with this is like, number one, be empathetic when you're doing your research. Like Missy said, look at nonfiction, but also read fiction because fiction is so much easier to connect with and it will help you be able to write by POC, by the way, which we keep saying, it stands for Black Indigenous People of Color. So reading fiction written by black indigenous people of color, I would argue would help you connect with these people a lot more than reading nonfiction, which can make you feel like you're reading about an entirely different species. And that is sometimes how we get representations of POC, which feel very clinical and feel almost uncomfortable in how staged they are. If you watched any like 2000s movie and there was a black guy in it with a chain and the way that people would try to write like hip hop gangster characters characters like that's i think what happens when you've only heard about black people through the internet and nonfiction. gosh the black best friend trope Ugh. the black best friend trope so read fiction written by these people because it 
the be empathetic thing, which number one, like be empathetic when you write anything. I think that that's like the key to writing. But I think that that will help your bi POC characters sound like bi POC and not like weirdly clinical stereotypes. And the other thing that I would say is that tried and true adage, which is you can write a black character, but if you're not black, don't write a black story. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which is like the writing edition of stay in your lane. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I can speak from my, because I, I can kind of launch off of this from what I've been writing and basically some of the anxieties I had around, I knew that I had to include indigenous people, indigenous characters in my story because I'm writing about semi-recently colonized Canada. I mean, actually, no, not recently at all, but you know, a colonized Canada, Canada is a colonial power and I'm mapping that onto Sinnoh. And so I'm writing that I knew I had to include indigenous characters and I knew that they would be at the forefront of one side of the struggle. But I didn't feel like I had the right personally to write about an indigenous struggle. And so I had anxieties around that of how to manage that. And in the end, I came out to the conclusion that the struggle itself would be along the lines of class lines, like economic class, less so than it would be along racial lines or anything like that. But of course, tied up in a class struggle naturally is going to be some racial struggle as well as some environmental struggle. And so it all kind of becomes a little bit of a soup. It's just like naturally this one conflict is related to this other conflict is related to this other conflict. Like if you're looking at current issues in Canada right now, we have a lot of environmental issues. We have the land back movement. We have the Wet'suwet'en pipeline. We have Fairy Creek, the old growth forest logging debate currently going on. And that's all tied up naturally. There's the bodies of children that they keep finding. Oh yes. my god. The residential schools in Canada, as well as the U.S., currently going into the process of... They're finding various unmarked graves of a lot of children that were killed either purposefully or through neglect. Who knows? There's no record of it. And basically, we're having a national conversation about that. It's being taught in schools now a lot. There's a whole movement, Orange Shirt Day, etc. For anyone who doesn't know, a residential school is a school where they would send uh, Native American and First Indigenous kids to basically try to teach them how to be quote-unquote civilized they would essentially try to beat the Indian out of them. Cut their hair. It was part of the process of destroying their culture. Yeah. And then they murdered them. And yes, there was metaphorical and also literal murder. And so this is a lot of stuff that is hanging in my head as I'm writing this story, which is about Pokemon, but also because I'm mapping Canada onto it, I have to include it. It's a whole mess, but it's also, I mean... It's a mess, but I'm willing to engage with it. And it's also sometimes, I mean, I'm dealing with unfortunate subject matter, but it's also kind of a fun mess because I enjoy Indigenous studies. It's just a personal thing to me. It's very rewarding to see the fruits of your work come into fruition because Three's a Crown is very good. And I think you handled it very well because clearly you put the time and effort into it and it shows. Yeah, I mean, much as I can with the story where the three protagonists are all little white girls, but you know. Yeah. Actually, speaking of which, I do want to say, like, I feel like there's kind of like two extremes, I think. And one of them is like, on the one hand, we are all writing Pokemon fan fiction. And if you're going to write POC characters in your, again, Pokemon fan fiction, you can relax a little bit. Yeah. This is, and I cannot stress this enough, like the lowest tier of fan fiction is this is a niche of a niche is what yeah. it is. exactly no one's gonna see this no one's yeah. gonna see this well it's except us. us here and we might judge you just a tiny bit we will judge you this is between you us and god so don't <laughs> worry <laughs> 
But like, on the other hand, it is important to do your research. It is important to look up like, hey, what are typical stereotypes? Like if you're writing a Latina character and you write like a spicy Latina, number one, holy crap, don't. Number two, it's important to examine your own biases when you write characters like this, because otherwise you might end up accidentally writing something that comes across in deeply poor taste at best. Yeah, and there's also the idea that, I mean, metaphorically, if you hold that face so long, it's gonna stick. If you let yourself do those practices so long, it's going to be with you for a very long time, and it's gonna be hard to shake that practice. So, you're low stakes now, because again, just you, us, and God. But one day, maybe you're gonna want to write for a wider audience, and you're gonna want to be prepared to do that. So, I would say that this is a good training ground, <laughs> I suppose. And also, even though we're a small little tight-knit community, we still have to have standards, because otherwise, certain kinds of people are not going to feel welcome in that community, you know? Yeah. Honestly, like, that's why you should be doing your research. It's not because you don't want to get canceled. It's because people will feel uncomfortable at best and unsafe at worst if certain stereotypes are perpetrated or if certain attitudes are perpetrated. Yes. Perpetuated? Perpetuated. That's probably yes. the correct word. <laughs> Okay, so because Missy's been already talking about intersectionality so much, we're going to go ahead and segue into our last question here. Race does not exist in isolation. Identity is complex, and people will often belong to multiple marginalized groups that places them at the intersection of various axes of power. BIPOC can be queer, disabled, neurodivergent, and all of these overlapping identities have profound effects on our lives. This is why we talked about ourselves for so long at the beginning. So, do any of your characters have intersectional identities? Do any of them belong to marginalized groups, even if they don't intersect with race? And how do you handle writing these characters? So, like I mentioned, like I'm trans. Personally, I typically avoid writing trans by people of color. And the reason that I do that is because the way that gender and culture intersect, like the way that your gender and your race intersect, is such a, like, miasma. It is deeply personal to the people that it belongs to, and it is very, very complicated. Because the way that different cultures and different races treat gender is extremely nuanced. Because it doesn't just matter what your race is, it matters like where you grew up, like where your parents are from, how they grew up, how like their politics are. It gets so complicated so fast that I don't think that I could ever do it authentically. So I tend to not write trans characters of color. And I just want to be clear here, like, I've had people of color call me out on that, actually, and be like, okay, well, that's weird that you don't do that. So I don't know, take that with a grain of salt, I guess. There's a thing that I don't do, there's the reason that I don't do it, but, like, characters of color that I have, yes, absolutely, they're intersectional identities, because that will give you more interesting and more nuanced characters. Yep, that's the whole thing. So if anybody else wants to talk now, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the question, I think, is open to general forms of diversity. If you want to talk about writing trans characters or neurodivergent characters or anything like that. Yeah, it's very open. <laughs> I would love for you to talk on a topic with which you are comfortable discussing very openly. <laughs> you know, white man, come on. Dance, white boy, dance. <laughs> you just start shooting at my feet to see what I'm doing. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and then you just like, I oh, sometimes write about gender. Uh. I have written trans characters. So the character of Death from Don't Fear the Reaper, Death is a physical manifestation of the concept of death. So they don't have a race. They are specifically a gender. They have no gender. 
And I got a little bit kind of scrutinizing myself with that because I didn't want to have that they, them, like, bot representation. You know what I mean? That problem mm-hmm. where, like, people will have, like, agender or asexual characters, but it's always robots and, like, people who, like, don't really fit in. And death is agender and asexual. And I was like, I don't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, like, I don't like that trope at all and I didn't want to fall into that but at the same time with the lore of how the don't fear the reaper horsemen work death is asexual death is agender and so like one of the things that I do to actively combat that I kind of thought about it I was like okay well like what are my problems with these stereotypes my problem with these stereotypes are that they kind of perpetuate this idea like Missy said like you can only have love if you're like cishet or whatever like it's that uncomfortable idea where somehow like if you don't have sexual attraction or if you identify as non-binary that makes you not human that makes you not a person Mm -hmm. and one of the themes in Don't Fear the Reaper is actually what makes somebody a person because two of the main characters are a manifestation of death and a ghost that's also a robot so number one one of the themes like is already kind of exploring that question and trying to i guess prove that death is a person and that things like gender and sexual attraction aren't what make you a person and another thing that i really tried to do was give death like a whole personality like Mm -hmm. this is a entire not human being right here you know this isn't like data from star trek they have faults and quirks and all of these weird little machinations because they're a person and they matter and Mm -hmm. so i feel like if don't want to say try to invert stereotypes because i'm speaking from experience that usually goes poorly But, like, there are ways to kind of, like, write characters who might accidentally fall into stereotypical depictions. I know that who's a... We've talked about this, like, with Josie. If I can speak about Josie for a second. Please, talk about Josie if you want. I love Josie. But, like, Josie is a very sexually active black woman. And one of the things that she struggles with is like being seen as a very big masculine sexually active black woman because that is a really harmful stereotype and that also intersects with her being bisexual yeah because there's this stereotype of bisexual women as being like somehow predatory to like other women and who's just wrote this amazing character who is struggling with these things but part of the reason that it works is because Josie is insecure about all of those things because she like kind of gets mad at herself for almost falling into these like stereotypes also, part of what makes this work, I think, is that there's giant ice dragons. And so who really has time to worry about how people perceive your sex drive when uh, the world <laughs> is ending and also you have hypothermia 24-7? So. Yeah, because work took like half the words out of my mouth because I was actually going to talk about Josie and her sex drive, actually, because we are adults here. We can talk about this. And even if you're a teenager listening to this, you can also talk about this because you are not immune to having a decent sex talk. Okay. Sex is normal. It is a neutral term. Yes. It's a neutral concept. They are going to ban all of us. (laughs) No, it's okay. We can handle this. And so all of these things about Josie's sexuality is very much like informing who she is. And you see her almost like self-hate about this thing recur several times. Because whenever she has somebody who's interested in her, whenever she meets a very beautiful person, she's immediately distracted because she's into them. She immediately beats herself down and like puts herself back in her place about it 
because she doesn't want to be seen as this stereotype and she basically punishes herself for having this sex drive both as the sexual black woman and the sexual bisexual like she feels very predatory and so it's not just the fact that first of all Josie is a woman she's not supposed to have a sex drive second of all she's black she's hypersexualized and then last of all she's bisexual she is again hypersexualized and so all of these things intersect for her in extremely interesting ways that I never really fully explored since we're on like a Pokemon fanfiction forum. Like I wasn't going to totally get into that stuff. Mm -hmm. But it also intersects with the fact that she is also like at the bottom of the wealth disparity and she's at a dead end job struggling just to get into college too. Like she is a host of different intersections between race and class and sexuality that is just all like imploding on itself. On top of the neuroatypicality of her being extremely, extremely depressed. Yeah, and you've hit on a really good point, I think, of intersectionality, at least in my belief, makes things just so much more interesting. Like, we could be very serious and literary and astute and academic and approach this from a very hi-hat perspective of the sacred subjects that we must treat with the utmost respect, but it's fun to mess around with some of these subjects sometimes. It's fun to explore ideas of gender and sexuality and sometimes even how they intersect with race. Like, race and heritage and culture aren't always super serious things. You celebrate it sometimes, you know? Yeah. There's things to be looked at in a joyful way and even looking at some of the less happy aspects of a racialized identity it can just be fun to explore i personally just as a writer and as a reader and as, as an academic if i can claim that title you can i really enjoy getting into the nitty-gritty weird gross sometimes sad and pathetic aspects of character like, I don't know if you've read The Air, apparently, but I like men who <laughs> suck a lot. Oh, poor little Meow Meow. I can fix him. Stop. <laughs> Honestly, poor little oh, Meow Meow. God. I'm going to punch him in the face. I can make him worse. <laughs> this old man made a traumatized child a lot. I have an entire lecture I could give specifically on the old man and the innocent kid trope that is in so much apocalypse fiction and how specifically, because the air apparently is not in the apocalypse genre, it takes away a lot of the excusability of Nanu's actions. But anyway, I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> I mean, I guess I could talk about like Nanu specifically as the token white, but anyways. Uh, what was I talking about? Oh yeah! <laughs> Basically intersectionality, being weird little nitty gritty stuff. Always fun, always cool. Really should get into it more. I mean, I can't really talk about it with any Nuzlocke examples, unfortunately. I don't really do that a lot currently. With all of this that we have said, I want to just remind people, I guess, that like the first thing that you should be thinking about, like with your character, they should be a whole entire person. Like they should <laughs> not, not half be, a person. Like it is totally possible for them to like define themselves, maybe through like their race or their sexuality or their gender identity. But like you as a writer should not be defining them that way. Oh, yeah. They should have a whole entire person. Like, Josie, she's trying to get into college. She is so poor. She is so depressed. She has, like, ice problems. She has a multitude of things going on. She's got daddy issues. She's got daddy <laughs> issues, dang it. She's got daddy issues. <laughs> Missy was talking about with the miners' strike in Three's a Crown. Yes. Where all of these issues are intersecting and it's like this giant soup. Your characters should be soup. They should have onions in them. And they should have... <laughs> characters are a weird soup. Characters are like onions. They've got layers. So they should have... 
there should be multiple things going on if you're gonna write like by poc it's the same rules for any other characters we talked about this like their background should absolutely inform parts of their identity right like a black person who grows up in like an all-white town is not gonna have the same experience as a white person who grows up in that exact same town that is going to be different that's me it's huza and so <laughs> huza and i have had vastly different living experiences because of where we have grown up and the racial politics of those things but we've also had other stuff going on. <laughs> that means that the way that we interact with certain stuff is going to be different because of those things. But we've also had some really similar experiences. And we've also will interact with some things the same because of other aspects of our personalities. My point is, write complete characters should be like your drive, I guess, for when you're trying <laughs> to write by POC. So I guess there's like the core tenets is like, number one, make an entire character. Number two, do your research. And number three, calm down a little bit. It's Pokemon fanfic. And approach man. it empathetically. And approach it empathetically yes and also we have talked a lot about characters specifically but again we've also sort of alluded to this that characters don't exist in isolation you also needed to take into account the greater world and so if you are going to have a character and you're going to talk about that character's race specifically you have to also address where that idea of race is coming from in the greater world and you don't have to do that in some grand high epic fantasy way like for example in ghost in the machine with hugh and josie they're just black and black people exist which i think is sort of easy no offense but it's you know but it's america <laughs> no offense who's that it's, it's easy to just make to black people that's so funny black people can just exist you know yeah. and it's like i drew on what i knew and at most i basically gave hugh a speech pattern closer to the louisiana bayou at that point but i didn't do like this was not like a black story it was a story about people who happen to be black no, no, yeah, I'm, no, I'm just saying. Me specifically, I am reskinning the world. You guys are not doing that. But sometimes I'm saying consider it, you know? Yeah, yeah. like you implied. It does depend on the kind of story you're going to tell. If I did that in Don't Fear the Reaper, it would make no sense. It would be super obnoxious. It would not accomplish anything because I am making a stupid buddy comedy. Nothing is gained by addressing race politics in a dumb buddy comedy that is written by a white guy about Pokemon. Maybe if Jordan Peele did it, I would watch the shit out of a dumb buddy comedy <laughs> No. that was about race politics like if anybody's seen bright with will smith number one don't see Ugh. bright with will smith don't like they try to do a whole world building race thing in like a high fantasy way and it falls flat on its face and if or, they had just yeah or look at me look me in the eyes fairy lives don't matter today <laughs> i hate you but God. so if they awful <laughs> If they had just been like, yeah, there's orcs, and then made a cop movie, everyone would have been on board, right? So figure out what kind of story you're trying to tell, and I guess then figure out if you want to try to skin race politics on it. <laughs> <laughs> that was the worst way to phrase that. <laughs> yeah, terrible. Rephrase, please. I'm begging you. Figure out what kind of story you're going to tell and then figure out if race politics are going to add anything to it. Because again, like Missy said, having indigenous struggles in this 1800s Canada was a thing in 1800s Canada. It was a massive part it's of still the... a thing. It's it still was... a thing. It's never not been a thing in Canada. As much as our government can pretend, it has never not been a thing. So in that case, to not have First Nations people would actually be like a really tone deaf move. And then Ghost in the Machine, you know, it's just like, yes, there are black people and we don't really have time to get into that because we're talking about the dragons right now. <laughs> and then in Don't Fear the Reaper, we're like, hey, War's doing his best. So that's how... <laughs> you are and we appreciate you. 
<laughs> also, I love I love the visual image of Ghost in the Machine, like somebody being like, "Whoa, there's black people," and the person next is like, "Forget the black people, that's a, that's a dragon." <laughs> It's a bird. It's a plane. It's a black person. No, it's a dragon. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. We have bigger problems to worry about now. Also, I do have one thing to add about all of this, like, writing the IPOC in general. You can do it well, and you can still do it really badly. And I'm going to take this moment to put myself on blast about Tamaya because I've done a lot of research for Tamaya because she is Native American coded, like very big wise. And there is a lot in Come Hell or High Water about her being half Native American, but also half Alolan, half Hawaiian, essentially. And so she's kind of seeing the culture of Hawaii through this lens that she's mostly focalizing through Kukui because he is her cousin. And I'm doing these things, and I'm doing them pretty well, but I'm also doing them pretty horribly because I've fallen into that lovely, terrible trope of umbrella term Native Americans. There are so many different tribes out there. Like, like I have messed up because I did not, like, pick one to be... I did not pick a single Native American culture for Tamaya. So she's kind of a mishmash of all of them. And I've kind of leaned mostly on Cherokee, in my opinion, but that's also because I know more about Cherokee than the rest of them. So I haven't done the proper research that I should have done for Tamaya, and now it's at this point where I'm 20 plus chapters into this, and I'm like, I can't really go back and like rehaul the whole thing. I mean, I could, but it would be like a wealth of work. So I'm, I'm in that place where it's like, do I just buckle down and do it, or do I just keep going as I go and I just lay in the grave I have dug? I mean, you are so much braver than me, because even though I like, I will hype up, hey, I'm putting indigenous characters, they are very much like an urbanized population. Like, I'm dealing with like that kind of terms, and I'm not touching on the culture terribly. I'm leaning less on real-world indigenous cultural practices and thinking more about what an indigenous Synovan population would look like. Yeah. Going at it from a slightly different angle. Which is great for me now that Legends Arceus has been trailered and hyped the hell out of, where it's like, here's ancient Sinnoh. And I'm like, well, great. Thanks. Um, <laughs> here's ancient Sinnoh. It was Japan all along. Yeah, I know it was Japan all along. I'm doing a different thing. Shut up, Legends Arceus. I know you have cool Hisuian Zorark or whatever, but I have a minor strike, so who's winning? Anyways. <laughs> Yeah, no. I mean, I'll own up to that. I'm also not being perfect with my stuff either. And there's no way to really be perfect about it. It's just do your best. You're gonna muck it up and it's still gonna be good for what it is and you're gonna learn a lot from it and you'll be able to do better the next time because writing mm -hmm. is just like steady upwards growth or at least it should yeah. be. All of this being said, if somebody comes to you and they say, hey, what you are doing is not working and here's why, listen to them and take that under advisement because that is a hard thing to do is to tell somebody that their attempt is coming across badly. I want to be really clear here. That doesn't make you a bad person. If you do no. a thing and it does not go great, that does not make you a bad person. You tried. And that's actually way more important people give it credit for. What makes you a good person is if you listen to them and you say, thank you for telling me, I will make an effort to try harder in the future. It's all in your response, not in the critique. Yeah. Like we all live in North America. And so we all have- Everyone on the 
podcast lives in North America. We don't know about the rest of you guys, but yeah, you guys could be yeah. anywhere. You guys could be absolutely anywhere. But all three of us, born, raised North America, pretty sure. And so we, Island baby. We grow up with certain racial biases, and that's just going to come across in our work, and we have to consciously unlearn them, no matter what our own ethnic background might be. Yep, we all gotta do work. We all gotta put work in to be better and write better. There is stuff right now on the internet that I wrote when I was, again, in high school that is extremely tone deaf at best and probably like positive discrimination at worst. And it's just there. That is a thing that I've had to work on like as a person. The fact that you're working on it makes you a better person. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I very much dig that Missy was like, just take a deep breath and chill out because I mean, sure, we're BIPOC, but we're still people. You don't find people stressing this hard about writing white folk. Like, you don't have nobody out here going, oh my god, I better make sure he's putting mayonnaise on his sandwich and wearing his shoes indoors. Like... <laughs> <laughs> That's not how it I works. need everyone to know I will no longer accept any white characters that do not put mayonnaise on their sandwiches and wear shoes indoors. That is the new code of fire. All white people know is mayonnaise on sandwich, wear shoe indoors, and potato salad. Potato oh, salad. God. Nobody's like putting this much like over the top effort to make sure, oh my god, they must need to know that this person is white. Also, for the love of God, please do not just specific tropes and stereotypes that I can't stand at this point in my life is please don't ever describe colored girls as anything edible. The mocha skin, beautiful exotic chocolate. Yeah, please don't make them like malleable and just able to be consumed. I don't like that. Yeah, body for consumption. Body is not for consumption. Please don't do the black best friend trope. Like I love how and I'm kind of also pigeonholing him into this because that's how he was written in the game but please give how some wants and needs and motivation other than i'm here to support the main character he comes with a built-in motivation if people are not using that that's he does. same with hop as much as hop is a how clone he is like look me in the eyes he is he is one of the more interesting characters in sword of shield it's not hard to do that mind you to be the most interesting character in sword and shield but <laughs> yeah. he is he is. This is true. We should this recognize that. <laughs> Missy, if you keep saying look me in the eye, I need you to turn your webcam on because otherwise I'm just looking at like a photo of a cat. And I don't <laughs> know what to do. Look me in the eyes that. more. Look the cat <laughs> in the eyes. I am doing it right now. All right, cool. So I know I'm not the host. However, I am the one looking at the clock and we are well over an hour. So yeah, that's true. We probably didn't need to wrap this up. We're going to run down super quick about our least favorite things to see in Nuzlocke. <laughs> Oh, cool. Yes. Let's go. Least favorite things to see and then things we would like to see. Ooh. Okay, who's going first? I'm going to go first. I am so very, very tired of seeing people write about like, people write like Pokemon Mystery Dungeon Runs and be like, the dark types are discriminated against. And then they... People don't seem to understand how like systemic racism works and they'll just write base level bigotry. And if you're gonna write a story about systemic racism, please, 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 please do research about what systemic racism is and how it works. Like read the new Jim Crow. Oh my God, please read the new Jim Crow. Do it. Also read White Fragility. It's a good one. Oh, we should do books to recommend at the very end as well. I have a whole shelf back here. <laughs> who's a, who's a, do you want to do things or you were tired of seeing? Things I am tired of seeing is also part
partially just on Game Freak itself. I am tired of the sexy black woman. I am tired of seeing Olivia. I'm tired of seeing Nessa because they're both hypersexualized and that's what they're there to be eye candy. You know why? Because they are the sexy black girls, okay? I'm also tired of seeing black best friend trope, which we are running all over now because of how and hop. Who's it? Can you define the black best friend trope super quick for anybody who doesn't understand like what the problem is? The black is? best friend trope is like anything you've seen in the early 2000s Disney TV shows. It's basically the side character that is the black best friend and they are there to be the soundboard, the emotional soundboard for the white main character. They are there to support the main character and they don't ever really have wants or needs of their own. They're just there to be the token colored person to support the white person in all their endeavors and that's all they're good for. And the problem with that is that it reduces by POC characters down to like one note characters to support the white people. Yes, and also emotional labor because frankly, we're going to say it, a lot of white people expect all the colored folks out there to do all the emotional labor for them. That's why white people don't want to talk about race because they feel like it's an attack on themselves and so they're like, oh no, I can't talk about this. We need to have, you know, only colored people talking about this because I'm not qualified, but I'm not qualified because I haven't put in the work to learn. And so you're basically expecting colored folk to teach you and do all the work and the labor and the emotional stunts for you. Sorry, mm -hmm. that's a little tangential. No, it's but... all right. It's all right. That is super on topic for our race panel. This is true. <laughs> but I also know I'm going to make lots of white people very uncomfortable saying it. So <laughs> Yeah, they're going to cut that part out. So, <laughs> Missy. <laughs> Your part will just be conspicuously absent. So one thing that I am tired of seeing in you know fiction in general and also online discourse etc etc because you know it's cesspool out there is just the general idea that being marginalized in any way that is not race excludes you from being racist in some oh. way like i can't be racist i'm gay oh. as if existing on the bottom end of any axis of power if you are experiencing any kind of oppression or marginalization in even the smallest way means that you are exempt from then exerting privilege or power over another kind of person. I feel this on a spiritual level. Yeah, it's the idea that, say, if you have like a gay character, or you're writing gay characters, and one of those gay characters happens to be a character of color, any sort of strange, questionable choices you may be making towards their race, heritage, or culture is kind of excused because either you are gay or the other characters are gay, etc. For example, a story about two gay characters, and then you have a white main character, and then you have a character of color as a love interest, and you can sort of begin to stop being conscious of what they are writing. They do not write that character of color with a certain level of consciousness because you are in a gay territory. Yeah, like sort of just thing. because it's like, oh, if they're two gay men or two gay women, and like they don't want to recognize the power imbalances between a white person and a black person, even if they're in a gay relationship, because they're gay. That's all that matters. Exactly. It's like you get to one sort of identity and then intersectionality doesn't exist and your brain overloads and you can only do one marginalized identity at once or you can only recognize one marginalized identity at once. Which is not true because as we went in the beginning, we are, <laughs> we are so a lot many of things and it's awful. <laughs> it's not awful, it's just normal. <laughs> 
Also, I forgot to mention something that I want to see. And one thing that I really, really love seeing in fiction in general is positive Black fathers. Ooh, I yes. desire, we would love to see it. This is why Peony from the Glar DLCs or whatever, I oh, yeah. adore this man so much. He is He's like great. the apple of my eye. Him and Brock's dad, I am in love with both of them and I wish people would feed me more positive Black fathers figures mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i'm so sorry to do this to you didn't didn't brock's dad run away for like 20 years or something i don't know i just remember really liking him but that's because he was a mess <laughs> and he also like he really loved away, his wife unfortunately. no no i watched the anime he like left he probably and, like, did brock had to like raise his siblings for a really long time and then he like came back anyway yeah <laughs> we're not gonna talk about that the one black character in pokemon before gen 5 and his dad yeah. was gone peony <laughs> specifically peony specifically mm-hmm. is the one because he's wonderful <laughs> He's great. I really like seeing, I think that we've moved past Captain Planeting. Instead of doing like, this is the black character and like, this is the Latino character and like, this is the indigenous character. Just have like three black guys. Like, you can have more than one marginalized character, is basically what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's not like you have a flavor sampler chocolate box where each of them have to be Ugh. neat. So you can get a little of each. You got a little stash, a little strawberry. Don't compare them yeah. to chocolate. I don't like that at all. That makes me, like, more uncomfortable. Uh, you know, the consumption of racialized bodies. Life is like a box of chocolates. <laughs> <laughs> you never know what you're going to get. <laughs> um, Ooh, this one's Chinese. I like, don't say it like. <laughs> I can say that. Told you this already, but the other day, one of my roommates was like, You want me to get flan? And my roommate goes, Yeah, I love when my pudding speaks Spanish. Good Ugh, I think we have reached our most logical conclusion to things. And that is. Yes, we love when our pudding speaks Spanish. No, oh, I was going to say, say, Life is a box of chocolates. To see more of. What do you want to say more of? Tell me. Um, I've forgotten now because we started talking <laughs> about chocolates, actually. Thanks. Oh, no, I was going to say. I want to see, and this isn't about race at all, but I have it on the brain currently, and I want to see when you start talking about disabled characters, neurodivergent characters, I want to see whatever their symptoms may be, their traits may be, I want to see it matter in some way. In the same way that people will often slap a certain ethnicity onto a character just because, and then it doesn't affect them in any way, even though it really should. And not even, again, it doesn't have to be a negative way, it's a trait and it affects them. A lot of the times, neurodivergent characters or disabled characters characters will have a disability and they just won't have to deal with it somehow and it just exists as a trait of theirs. Meanwhile, and again, not all the stories have to be about the struggle because of a certain trait. However, that's the interesting stuff. The interesting stuff is that, for example, I am autistic. There are certain things that are more difficult because I am autistic. There's something I don't understand that I have to work harder on. And that is just a fact of life. And to show that struggle- Yeah, but you're not like crying in your room about it every day or anything. <laughs> Probably. Not usually. <laughs> We're not going to get into that. This isn't therapy. Just a crier. That's about? fine. I am a crier and I think it is because of the autism, honestly, but that's not an issue all the time. It's not debilitating. <laughs> I'm not a debilitating crier. I just have emotional dysregulation and that's a fact of life, you know? Anyways. I like stories where it matters. Like, if I can please segue into a bit where I recommend books, I would like to recommend An Unkindness of Ghosts, which I do not have the author wait, name wait, wait, for. Wait, wait, Before we do that, Missy, can I break down what you said just a little bit more? Okay. Okay, thank you. So, like, in Ghost in the Machine, like we said, it is not, like, a story about race, but the main characters are black. And, like Missy was saying, like, it does impact them. Like, we talked about where part of Josie's thing is, like, some of her self-hatred comes from being a black bisexual woman 
woman who does have like a very strong libido. That is a way that it impacts her, but it's still not like a story about her being black, but like her being black is a part of her character. And like Missy said, they're autistic and they deal with that. And I have really bad ADHD and part of my ADHD is also like emotional dysregulation. And so like a way that that impacts me is that when I get frustrated with things, I have to stop and walk away. I actually had to walk out of a class the other day for 40 minutes because I was so upset because of Photoshop. And I had to like leave because I was going to break something. (laughs) Well, it is Photoshop to be fair. But like, there's an example, like that is a thing that I have that created a problem, but my whole life doesn't revolve around me always being like emotionally dysregulation. Like there's triggers for it. There are specific things that will make it matter. Your ADHD is also giving you massive focus at some times, that hyper-focus. And so you will learn a lot about subjects you are passionate about, which is also a very good trait of ADHD. Yeah. And I, that's the only good one, actually. Everything (laughs) in my brain is broken. I feel that though. I will also say that he said that Ghost in the Machine is not about Josie's racial identity at its core because to me at its core Ghost in the Machine is more about her being neurodivergent no no mental illness yes mental illness thank you because she is chiefly extremely depressed the whole way through this story and she has times where she pulls out and times where she drops back even harder like she doesn't eat she doesn't sleep she doesn't take care of herself she uses alcohol to cope and she also uses her libido to cope too and so at its core even though there's a lot of dragons going around like everything is going crazy chiefly it is about Josie's depression based manifested as Kiram to be that manifestation until she confronts Kiram she can't confront the fact of her own depression and so the end of the story is her conquering and learning to live with her depression mm-hmm. number one I love Ghost in the Machine and I would honestly recommend it to anybody like even like non Nuzlocke people I think should read Ghost in the Machine because it's great <laughs> also I misheard you for a second I thought you said that it was like how she deals with Kira like from Death Note no. yeah. <laughs> I had a moment <laughs> I need to read that now. I need to read that. That'd be great. That'd be excellent. God damn it. Okay. Missy, round us off with your book recommendations. Yeah, I was going to go into this, but I want to recommend An Unkindness of Ghosts by author name that I forget because I'm terrible at this. It's a sci-fi story, speculative fiction, about a giant, like, city-sized spaceship that operates on the social structure of the antebellum south, and it follows a neurodivergent, black, gender-undefined character as they seek to reconcile the mystery of the death of their mother. And there's so many interesting characters and there's so many intersections and it's so cool and specifically like the neurodivergence which I don't remember exactly what it is I feel like it might be autism and that's probably why I remember why it. haven't you why haven't this you told to me us about already? this I'm why sorry, have you okay. kept this a secret it's a great book but this oh my god the ending of the book made me cry it was great because it was so specifically like reconnecting with their mother so oh sorry wow wow okay She's no gonna... the mother is dead the mother is dead and staying dead anyways <laughs> Spoilers, folks. What I was getting at was the book very specifically does this through like a sensory medium. The character connects through a sensory medium. Anyways. Things are so textured. Yes. This is the funniest book recommendation I've ever heard. It's awful. Okay. I'm just really excited about this book. (laughs) The book is good. No, it's great. You're doing great. I'm also going to give some book recommendations. My book recommendations would be, both of these, by the way, are like a hard R rating. So the 
first one is Of Women and Salt, which is by, I want to say, Gabrielle Garcia, and it is about intergenerational trauma and, I guess, being a woman and specifically being, like, a Cuban woman or Cuban-American and kind of how, like, that looks and works. And the other one is Johnny Appleseed by Joshua Whitehead, which is about... Yes! Which is about being queer and being First Nations. And these are both, again, like, a very hard R rating of Women in Salt has drug use in it as one of the primary themes and Johnny Appleseed is about a guy who is a sex worker and like it gets into that so there's your heads up (laughs) and I'll round us off with the last one my only recommendation is white fragility why it's so hard for white people to talk about racism by Robin D'Angelo honestly top tier even I as half white half black definitely learned a lot from this book and the way people just approach the topic of race in general. I feel like this is not just like, this is a book for white people. Like, no, everybody should be reading this book because it's going to help you approach the topic of race better and understand your own, what's the word? Biases. Biases, thank you. I want to say really quick, this doesn't matter, but my favorite conversation that I've had with Huza was a real conversation that we had about whether or not it would be appropriate to bring white fragility as a gift on your first date. (laughs) Great. You know exactly what you're getting into depending on how they react to that. Honestly. It's a good I think it would be weird to bring it on a first date. I think that that would be a weird thing to do. I mean, mean, yes, objectively. However, it is efficient, is what it is. It's an efficient <laughs> tactic. Anyways, you guys, thank you for joining us on our racial diversity and Nuzlocks and also other fiction. And also other fiction. Read some other fiction, please. Read so many other fictions. <laughs> yeah, thank you for listening to us talk about racial diversity and then get wildly off topic for the next hour. We do appreciate you being here. <laughs> <laughs> Read The Inconvenient Indian by Thomas King and also Medicine Walk by Wagamize. I forget his first name. And also Passing by Nella Larson and The Boat People by Shannon Bala. Read We Had a Little Real Estate Problem. I forget who wrote it, but it's a Native American author. It's like a dark comedy kind of biographical book about being Native American. Also, read Cemetery Boys by Aiden Thomas. Very good read book. Read Cemetery Boys by Aiden Thomas. Yes, please read that. Hot also stuff, you two. The, Not uh, Missy. Classic, The Marrow Thieves by Sherry Demoline. <laughs> read everything by Sherry Demoline. Just read anything BIPOC from BIPOC authors and broaden your spectrums, broaden your horizons, and you will grow as a writer and you will begin to be able to approach having BIPOC in your fictions more confidently. Yeah, the best way to write better Pokemon fanfiction is to read a lot of things that aren't Pokemon fanfiction. And so thank you for joining us. Very sorry for rattling your ears off, but I think honestly this entire... You're right. I'm not sorry. This was all very good. It did meander a little bit because we are all neurodivergent. So. And we're excited. Yes. So if you edit this down, you are a blast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us. And we are going to haul off now. Take us away, Bye. boys. <laughs> Take us away, boys. I'm going now. away on a steamship. I'm going to stop yeah. the recording now. Yeah, stop <laughs> the recording. Okay, okay. <laughs>